So yesterday, it's, a big, it's become an annual tradition for Katie and I. We go rafting every single year, and we go to the Gauley River, which is considered the beast of the east. It's like one of the most intense rapids on the east of the Mississippi. Anyone ever done it? Negative. One person. There we go. Two people, so technically. So it is absolutely incredible. We've done this three years in a row now. And yesterday, we arrived down there, and I was quite bummed. Because what have, we, what have we had a lot of the last couple of weeks? Rain. Do you know what rain does, the rapids? Makes them a lot bigger. A lot bigger. So we get down there, and we, we get there at like 9 o'clock in the morning. We check in. It's like, oh, by the way, we're changing your trip. Which this is only, what, four weeks out of the year, the gully season, four weeks out of the year. They let water out of the Summersville Dam to create the rapids. Only four weeks. So we're like, you're changing our trip. And we only have like four weeks of opportunity here. Like, well, you're, instead of doing the upper gully, you're going to do the lower gully. Never done it before. Is it intense? Well, not as intense. So we're like, okay, we paid 100 bucks a piece. This better be intense. That's kind of what we're thinking. So we drive down. It was an hour bus ride. Our bus ride down, like, and I talk about the backwoods of West Virginia. It's nothing that you, you all see here. It's backwoods. You don't get school buses down these, like, kickback turns, like going down this gravel road, down to a dirt road, down to a rock road kind of a thing. We get down there, and the entire time we're on the bus, they're doing the whole, like, spiel of, hey, by the way, you might die. The waiver is intense. Like, it is very thorough. What could happen? You could be decapitated. Like, all these different things were, like, on this waiver that you sign of, like, how you could possibly die. You might, you might get thrown out of the boat. You might go face first off a rock. Or you might get thrown under the water, and your foot will get caught into an undercurrent, and you will never come back up. We'll never see you again. That kind of stuff. You know, peppy stuff. And we keep going, and the bus ride, the, the, the tour guide is, like, trying to get all hyped up, and everyone's like, okay, we're getting a little nervous, which Katie and I are like, okay, we're, so we're the experts. We've done this. This is our third year. Like we are, we are the experts, not compared to the 32-year-old guy, the 32-year veteran who's like leading us. We thought we were experts. We get down there on the boat, and we've never been on this part of the water before. Only three miles of the 17 miles have we ever been on. <coughs> we get on it, and the water is really high, and it is just flowing. I mean, it is fast. I'm like, <laughs> this should be interesting. And we get on the boat, and he does the whole, like, this is how you paddle. Like, whenever I say left, you go left. Whenever I say right, you go right. Now, the, the key is, there's only one voice you're supposed to listen to, the guides. You listen to the guide. Always listen to what he tells you to. He's been doing this for 32 years. He knows what he's talking about. He's paid to do this. I'm paying his salary right now. You listen to him. So we get going on the boat. And that one that you saw, that specific video, I, in my five times white water, white water rafting, I've only ever gotten nervous one other time. And I think I told you all this last year, I got thrown one year. I didn't go out of the boat. I landed in the front of the boat head first. What are you laughing, Dylan? I hear it all. <clears throat> it, was, it was not Brett. This year, I got nervous in that video because that was the start. It's called the Miracle Mile. It's five class five rapids in a mile. Now, you might say, what's class five? Class one is like a glorified bathtub. You know, just kind of like a little bit of a trickle. Two, three gets a little more intense. Four is a little crazy. Five is nuts. Because six is considered Niagara Falls. Kind of get an idea here. So five class five rapids in a mile. And that was the first one. And I'm sitting there at lunch. Because you go three miles, eat lunch, then you go 14 miles. And I'm watching this guy across from me. He is one of the, the tour guides. He is shaking. I'm just kind of watching. And he goes, now he looks at the guy next to him. So now walk me through this again. When I get to Fountain Rock, I go left or do I go right? I'm like, these guys have no idea what they're doing. 
I'm like, okay, our guy said he's been doing this for 30 years. He's only ever done the lower gully a few times. Oh, crap. This ain't going to be good. So I watch his reaction. He is freaking out. We get back in the boat. We start going off, and all the guys, all the boats are just dead quiet for a little bit. And the, the guy looks over me and goes, and to Katie, in the, we're in the back. He's like, so uh, we've never done this at this high of water before. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> we've never done this before. He goes, we have no idea. Because it's one of these, like, you do a 90-degree turn, and all of a sudden, there's the rapid. Like, he has no idea what's getting ready to come around this corner. So he's like, so here's what I'm thinking. If we see the rock, we're good. If we don't see the rock, we're in bad trouble. I'm like, why? He goes, well, if you see the rock, then you know where not to go. He goes, if we don't see the rock, then we're in big trouble. I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And I'm kind of getting, like, psyched up. But at the same time, I'm starting to freak out. Because we do around this corner, and you see the rock. And it's, I'm not even kidding. I think Katie saw it, too. This 20-foot, like, blast of water just hits it and just goes up in the air like a cannon. I'm like... Oh, that's going to be our raft. This is, <laughs> this is great. And so we go around, and now, so uh, again, we're not experts, but the four people in the back were competent. The four people in the front were stupid. Because every time he said paddle, they're just holding their paddle. Instead of, like, digging, you know, go, like going, they're just holding on to it. They only did paddle, like, 20% of the entire trip. We were a little annoyed. And so he starts saying paddle, and we start going. He starts saying go right, we go right, we start going left, we start going left. And did you hear when he said high side? That means everyone get on the left side of the boat when it's up in the air. And that rock hit at my hip, which is what you see me get thrown down. And I ran into, like Katie goes, she was trying to get high side, so she goes up and we just go right in the middle. It was awesome. But at the same time, I'm like freaking out because I thought we were going to flip because all, the day, all day long, people were, the boats were flipping. Uh, this one guy got thrown out, and he, I don't know if he ever swam before because his eyes were like this big. And you ever watch, like, the movie The Guardian, the, li- the Life Guard, or the Coast Guard movie, where they tell you, like, when people get in the water, they panic, and they grab onto whoever, they're it, whoever they see. This guy grabs a hold of this guy, and is, like, shaking, and the other guy's trying to swim. And we're yelling, like, let go, swim, and his eyes are just bugging out of his head, and we have to pull them out of the water into the boat. It was amazing. It's awesome. But can you imagine if I turned around and said, dude, you are a moron. I know what I'm doing. Like, I, I, ha, I know you've done this 32 years. I've done this five years. I think I, got, I think I got better knowledge of what you got going on. The best thing that we have for us is that the guide is always on the boat yelling out commands. But those of us in the back of the boat who can hear him real well, we're just, we're just paddling right along with what he says. The guys in the front, not so much. And they're the ones who get all the water. Like, we're just going right along with it. But can you imagine if I just said, you know what, I don't know if you're really that qualified. What would happen? I probably would not be standing up here, that's for one, because we'd probably die. There was several times where, like I said, I got a little nervous because this guy had no idea what was coming. And if he's telling me, like, I'm nervous and he's been doing this for 32 years, I should be nervous. But the reality is that when we go throughout life, we have this journey ahead of us and we have no idea what's coming for us. We have no idea what's around the next corner. We have no idea what we're going to come up against. We have no idea what we're going to see And the ultimate guide that we have is God's voice telling us, do this, don't do this, do this, just listen to me. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is sin. Now that's a word that we talk about a lot in church, and to just kind of help us figure this one out yet, I'm going to show a quick video uh, from The Walking Dead. We'll make camp tonight. 
over there. Infected. What? At the CDC, Jenner told me. Whatever it is, we all carry it. So first off, sorry about that. I had two clips on my computer and I picked the wrong one. Um, one was edited. So how many of you all watched The Walking Dead? Anybody? Those of you who don't, sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, everyone's infected, right? Doesn't matter because the, the thinking was that every time you got bit, if you got scratched, you turned into a zombie or a walker, whatever you want to call it. But they just found out, this is back in season three, so if this is a spoiler for you, it's your fault. We're seven years past this. Uh, so if this is what happens, whenever someone dies, in reality, they all turn. And they didn't know why. They had no idea why. And then he, they go to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, and they meet a doctor who's been working on this. He goes, oh, yeah, by the way, it's not if you just get bit. It's not just if you get scratched. You're all going to turn because it's all in your blood. You all are all infected. Bummer. And so this is the next season, and Rick's like, oh, yeah, by the way, they told me a couple months ago back at the CDC that we are all infected. So no matter what happens to us, if we die, we all turn. We're all infected. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of this power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all have once lived in passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Colossians 1. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh and death. This would be a real peppy sermon. The reality is that back in Genesis, back when God creates all things and makes it all, and he looks over top of everything and he says what? It is all very good. And then he gives man just one simple thing to do. Actually, one simple thing not to do. Can you imagine only have one thing that you're not supposed to do? Only one. You'd think it would be easy. You guys are going to spend more time on this in your small group. But they went against God with one command. And because of that one command, they are now kicked out of the garden. And because of that one moment, guess what? We are all infected. We are all infected. We all have it in our blood. We all have it in our body what we do. So the problem that we have is this word called sin. The problem is sin. And we use this word a lot. We use it a lot in churches. But actually, if you look through Scripture, there's two different words. There's two different words that we see in Scripture from with this idea. The first one is transgression. Say transgressions. The second one is sin. Say sin. Let's define them. I lost my notes somewhere over here, so we're going to go by the slide. Transgressions is defined to cross a limit or a boundary. How many of you all like ever gone skiing, right? Anybody ever go skiing? Do you know that big orange net that's on the side of the mountain? What happens if you go past it? You're probably dead. We went, we went tubing one time, like we like snow tubing, and this was amazing because the, if you went on the far right, you had like 60 yards to stop. If you went down the far left, you had like 10 yards to stop. And we watched this guy who was way too big to be on this tube 
just launch off and he just smacks into the orange fence and he's gone. Because it dropped down underneath the fence like 15 feet. Now, on the other side of it, it was only about 20 yards down to a, so it wasn't that big of a fall, down to a road. And all of a sudden, we're like all like waiting for this, waiting for someone to come up. And all of a sudden, we see like a, and everyone like breaks out and cheer. I have no idea where it went. Is that it? That will help me. They have a, it's to cross a limit or a boundary. To cross a limit or a boundary. That limit and that boundary is there for your protection, right? Second thing, sin. <clears throat> Let's define that. Sin is failing to meet a set standard. Setting, set, failing to set, failing, excuse me, sin is failing to meet a set standard. There is a goal, there is a standard. If you don't reset, that's where you sin. You fall short. The next thing, if you didn't know this, this is the archery contest we did earlier it wasn't random. Because actually in archery terms, the word sin is actually a Greek word that is from archery. And it means when you miss the mark. So in old days, when they would, the archers would come up, they pull back, shoot. If they missed the bullseye, the judge would say one word, sin. You missed the mark. This idea is that we are not meeting up to the limits. We're, not, we're crossing these boundaries. We're crossing these limits. We're missing the mark. But here's my definition. Here's Scott's definition based off Scripture. It's a conscious rebellion or denial of our God and his word. Because what happens in Genesis, back in the very beginning of all things, God gave him one command, said, do not eat of this tree. Don't do it. Satan comes in, and the very first thing Satan ever says was, did God actually say that? It wasn't that they were trying to entice him into doing it. He was basically saying, is God's word really that superior in your life? Is God really that superior? Or is your own desires? Or your own wishes? Your own pleasures? What was it? So in the, early, in, the, in the early parts of Scripture, in Genesis, it wasn't that they sinned against, it wasn't, it wasn't because they ate the fruit, it was because they denied God's word and did not, denied him himself. And we throw this term all around, all around church today. Guess how many times, or guess how many times in Scripture we, we see an example of sin? Guess how many examples of sin we can find in Scripture? Just give me a number. Huh? A million? That'd be amazing. No. Some say with 10. Over 650 different kinds. Of, I think the actual number is 668 different sins in Scripture. I don't know how you last 10 minutes not messing up something. And there's some crazy ones. I mean, there's some stuff like back in the Hebrew law, back in the Jewish customs, like, hey, see that dead animal over there? Don't eat that. Okay, now obvious, like, I don't know, unless you're Dave Medley, when you're driving down the highway and you see a roadkill on the side, you don't think, I should probably eat that. <laughs> he said, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, like some of that's like, you know, it's common sense stuff. But there's some other stuff that are absolutely crazy. Like there's, there's customs about whenever a baby's born and how you're not, and then you're supposed to circumcise them on the eighth day. And if you don't do it, then you have to go because it's ceremonially unclean. And just all this crazy stuff about cleanliness. And washing your hands before dinner, washing your hands before meals, washing your hands before sacrifice, preparing the right kind of sacrifices, preparing the wrong kind of sacrifices. 668 different kinds of sin. 668 of them. See, in today's culture, we sometimes narrow that down. We don't really understand what sin is. We start labeling it different things. The church says, don't do this. The world says, is that really what it says? Did God really say you should not do this. 
Does the Bible actually say that? No, I think the Bible is actually silent on that, so I think I can do it anyways. That's what the world says. And the world's doing exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan said, did God actually say that? Because what, we're, what we then do is say, you know what? I'm going to deny God's word. I'm going to deny him, and I'm going to do whatever makes me feel good. I'm going to do whatever makes me feel like I can do whatever I want. I'm going to be rebellious and rebel against him. Now, some of us might think, you know what? I'm, I'm actually not that bad. I'm pretty good. Zach McRae got me watching a new show. I haven't told him this. The Good Place. It's kind of stupid. The concept is this. Kristen Bell dies, and now she is in eternity. But she's known in the place called The Good Place. There's a good place. There's a bad place. And what she starts asking is like, well, is this heaven? We're like, well, let's not really call it heaven. Let's call it a good place. So it's, it's, it's like a mixture of different things. But what she starts arguing is, she's like, oh, I, I think I deserve to be here. Because what she realizes is, again, spoiler, this is the first episode, but spoiler. She actually realizes she's not supposed to be there. Someone died at the exact same time as her with the exact same name, so the wrong person got sent to the good place. It's kind of funny. But again, really stupid. But then she looks back over her life. There's like a metric system of all the good things that she did and all the bad things that she did. If she helped someone cross the street, she got like 15 points. If she cussed at somebody, she lost like 30 points. And it's all this like works-based things like, well, I did this. I'm pretty good. And all of a sudden, it starts measuring up good and bad. And we start doing that now. We look over our life and go, well, I, you know, I go to church twice a month. I'm better than that guy over there who hasn't been in six months. He's a C&E Christian, Christmas and Easter. I'm better than him, right? I'm better than that Buddhist over there, even though he thinks he's going to be something better in the next life. You know, I, I think I'm okay. But the reality is, when we ask the question, who has sinned? If you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have fallen short. You guys are not hitting the standard. You're, not miss you're, you're missing the mark. We're not perfect. And the reality is, we are a bunch of jacked up people. And you think, well, yeah, look at the world. No, no, no. I'm talking about all of us. It's not just those evil people over there. No, we are all messed up. We are all broken. We were not what we were originally designed to be. We have all fall short of the glory of God. Right before that, here's what Paul writes, starting back in verse 9. He's arguing with the Jews and different with the Jews and the Gentiles. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Everyone is sinful, Jews and Greeks. He says, as is written, no one is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an empty grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Their venom of asps and under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before them. And then one chapter back, when we, or two chapters back when we started last week, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Last week we said that God created all things, and through all things we can see who God is. We can look at creation and see him. We can look at each other, and we should be able to see him. We should see a designed plan of God, a, design, a designer. 
It says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For all though, listen to this, for all know that they knew God, they knew him, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged their glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, virgin animals and creeping things. Now, some of us are thinking, well, I've never made an idol. I've never actually gone to like some idol worshiping temple. I've never, never, uh, it says, I've never, I've never killed a person. I've never been a murderer. I don't, I don't, I'm never, I'm not, my feet are not swift to shed blood. I'm not trying to go out and ruin people, bring misery upon their life. I'm not doing any of these things. But he says it's not just the Jews, it's not just the Greeks, it's not just the Hebrew, not just those people over there, not the Corinthians, not the Ephesians, not the Philippians, not the Christians, not the, the Buddhists, the Islams, or excuse me, the Muslims. Islams, don't laugh, Muslims. It's every single person, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person. Every single person at some time has put God up on a throne taking him back down, put himself on and said, you know what, I know better. I can live better. I can do better without you. Because most people think, you know what, God, I think you're kind of a buzzkill. You kind of think that I can't do any of these different things, but, you know, what do you know? Everything that God intended was not just because he was a buzzkill. Everything that God intended was to benefit you, to benefit also himself. Think about this. Marriage was designed to reflect the relationship between the church and the father. The church and the father. He designed marriage to be something special, something sacred, a sacred romance between a husband and a wife. And we're like, you know what? I don't really think that's true. I don't really think that's true. I think, you know what? I can do whatever I want. I can go sleep with whoever I want. I can get away with it. I'm good. But yet, guys, when you do that, you're stealing something that doesn't belong to you. That's someone's wife. That's someone's daughter. Someone's sister. Girls, same thing. That's someone's husband. That's someone's son. And it wasn't just the God trying to be a buzzkill. It was God saying, you know what? This is for you. This is my gift to you. I want you to honor this. I want you to treat this as sacred. I want you to use this to show who I am, to show how much I love the church. You're thinking, well, okay, we're just talking about Sex before marriage, I get it. We're just talking about not doing this. It's the same thing across the board. Sexual immorality across the board. It's against your wife. It's against your husband. It's sexually immoral. Whether that's sleeping sleeping with somebody before you're married, whether it's checking out pornography, lusting after somebody. You know that, guys, let's be honest. You do the whole, hey, girl. You know what I'm talking about? What's going through your head when you're doing that? Same thing. That's someone's daughter. That's someone's sister. That's someone's future wife. But we're not just talking about sexual relations. We're not talking about just marriage. We're not talking about these different things. We're like, I've never murdered anybody. When Jesus says, if you, look, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've murdered them. David, who we've talked about before, David uh, <clears throat> one time lusted after Bathsheba. He's like, hey, girl, I want to marry, I want to get you pregnant. So he impregnates her, and he his, takes her husband that she's married to, sends him out in the front line, and gets him murdered. 
He's like, well, technically I didn't murder him. No, he sent him to the front line to be killed. He murdered him. We do this whole thing of, okay, well, technically I didn't do this. No, you did it. Well, technically, here's the limit. No, you crossed the limit a long time ago. If you have to question where the limit is, if you have to question where the boundary is, you probably have already passed it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God set in motion this plan of here's mankind, here's this beautiful creation, here's what I've designed them to do, and we have fallen short of that tremendously. We're not even, we're close. Not even close. In Leviticus, if you study the book of Leviticus, how many of you ever heard the term leprosy? Anybody? If you know, leprosy is a common thing in, the, in, in Leviticus and throughout the New Testament. It's a skin disease where the skin starts rotting from the inside out. From the inside out, it starts to rot. To eventually we're at the point where limbs, noses, ears, everything could just fall off. It's disgusting. But you know how leprosy starts? It starts as a single infected cell in your body that you have no idea it's even infected. And it starts to grow, and it starts to spread, and it starts to come outside, it starts to become visible. Next thing you know, your entire body is consumed with this, and now you're starting to show on the outside. You're starting to lose limbs. You're starting to lose all these different body parts. And you start to die. Eventually, you do die. And God says in, in Leviticus, if you actually study the words in the book of Leviticus, if you study the, the, the cleansing rituals for people of leprosy, the term leprosy and the term of the disease actually means, the word, the old Hebrew word means to be brought low. To be brought low, to be humbled. And the reality is that leprosy is an example or is a foreshadow of what we deal with on every single day basis and sin. That you may not actually know, but something down deep inside you started when you were born. You may think, I was a perfect child. No, no, you weren't. But you're like, something down deep inside you, because of what Adam and Eve did back way back when, the entire humanity is now destined to be sinful. They're destined to be rebellious. And down deep inside you, something started. A sin started in you, and all of a sudden it starts to mingle, it starts to fester up, and the next thing you know it, you're like, okay, I can kind of contain this. It's not showing on the outside yet, and now all of a sudden it's full-blown. Everybody sees it. You may still not, and now you're like, okay, okay, this is not that bad yet. I can still kind of control this. Next thing you know it, it's gotten even worse. It's getting worse. It's now a snowball effect, and now you're in deep, and possibly you're even dead. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. What's the consequence of this? Say it louder, whoever said it. Death. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. The wage is what you pay. That's what your payment is. That's how you get out of your indebtedness. The only way... According to that, the wages of sin, the thing that you deserve, the consequence of your decision, the consequence of that sin that's down deep in your life is death. You might think, I'm not going to die for looking at a girl the wrong way. No, I'm talking about spiritual death. The same reason God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. They were spiritually separated from God. They were now spiritually dead. Fast forward to us. We are eternally separated from God because of our consequences of sin. We are now spiritually dead. My favorite passage in the Old Testament is in Ezekiel chapter 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones. You remember that? Ezekiel's taken up out of, the, out of the city, taken to the Valley of the Dry Bones, and God's like, hey, can these bones live? And he goes, well, okay, God, only you know. And he looks over, and you look at a bunch of bones. You see a bunch of piles of bones. You see a bunch of skulls, a bunch of ribs. And God says, are these bones alive? You'd probably say what? No. He says, then he said, prophesy to these bones that they'd come to life. 
So he starts prophesying and says the wind came and all the things, all the body parts started coming together, the ligaments and the tendons and the bones and the skin and the muscles. They came together and they looked like human beings, but something was missing. What was it? Breath. Were they alive? No. It wasn't until he prophesied that the breath entered them. That same word for breath also can be translated spirit, and it's the very same thing as in Genesis chapter 2 when God creates Adam and Eve out of the dust and he breathes into his nostrils. That same word for breath is spirit. And the reality is that we, before Jesus Christ, are just a bunch of mindless, emotionless, spiritually separated, spiritually dead humans just walking around like walkers from the walking dead. That's the reality. For the wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve. Like I said, not the most peppy thing you've ever heard. But the reality is that sin is a serious thing. It's life or death. And we can't let the world tell us how sin is. We can't let the world label it. God's word labels it. Yes, it labels it 668 times, but it all comes back to one thing. Guess what it is? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Because when we don't do that, we take him off of his throne, put ourselves on it, or we put our own pleasures, or we put our own desires on that throne, and that becomes our God. Brett changed my life a week ago. He gave me a book. To, well, he told me there's a book on my shelf. He's like, you should read that. It's called God's at War. You don't realize how many gods that you have in your life. You might be thinking, I don't worship all these different gods. No, no, no. It's the things that replace God. It's the thing that takes all your attention. It's the thing that takes all your desires, all of your time, all of your focus. You know what the biggest God in our world today, in my, my opinion, one of the biggest gods, it's right, probably all have in your pocket. This phone. If you haven't done the new, if you don't have an iPhone, that's not for you. If you have a new iPhone, update it. There's a new app on there called Screen Time. This will show you if this is a God or not. That girl or that guy you might be dating. If your entire life is dependent upon them making you happy, probably a God. That's a sport that you're playing. If you can't live without it and you're nothing without it, and when you get injured, you blame God for it, it's probably a God. All those things are sin, and it is absolutely serious. Next week, we're going to talk about the truth next, about what's now what. Now that we deal with this sin, what do we do next? And then throughout your small group tonight, you're going to do it a little differently. I gave all your leaders a paper. If you didn't get it, there's some over there still. You guys are going to read Genesis chapter 3 together. You're going to study through it together. You're going to see what happened because of sin. How do we view the world because of sin? How do we view ourselves because of sin? How do we view eternity because of sin? And what did God do? You think God absolutely messed up? He's like, oh, crap, I didn't mean for them to do that. No. Genesis chapter 3, man messes it up. God sets forth a plan in motion in Genesis 3.15. So next week... We're going to look at now what? Because for the wages of sin is death. But then two simple words in Scripture are the most beautiful. But God. It didn't show up. It's okay. But God. For the wages of sin is death, but God. That even though, yes, we are all wretched sinners, we are all spiritually dead, God still has a plan for every single one of us. We are all infected. We all need something. We all need a Savior. 